0: in the reading corner today I'm really pleased to be welcoming Tom Percival and we're going to be talking in particular about his latest picture book which is called The Invisible. It's a book about a young girl called Isabel um, who lives in poverty and we're going to be discussing a lot more about exactly what the book is about in a little while. But before we do that I wanted to start Tom by Looking at the end of this book, which is your author's note, because within that we find some of the seeds as to why you've chosen to write this book. So tell us a little bit about your childhood and how that connects with this story, The Invisible.
1: Yeah, okay. So, up until I was nine or ten years old, I can't remember exactly, I lived in a caravan. So it was a small caravan with two bedrooms, one living area and then a kind of bathroom slash kitchen area, sort of like water-based area. And we lived in this caravan because my parents were planning to try to renovate a cottage. And the idea was that we would live in the caravan for six months, cottage would be undone, and then everything would be great. But unfortunately, life didn't pan out in that way. And we ended up living in the caravan for... Six years, and my main memory, and one of the things that feeds into the book, is just how cold it was. If you're in a caravan with thin walls and you know, just like single paned glass windows, um, it was very rural, we were literally in the middle of nowhere, and we got our water from a spring. We grew some vegetables, so quite often, the food that we had to eat was food that we, you know, that we had grown, and then obviously. If there wasn't much of that, then sometimes there wasn't much for us, you know. But one of the things I had an awful lot of was books. Uh, because there was a mobile library used to pull up a mile down the road. And then one thing I loved about the library was that it was so warm. There's carpeted all over and all the sound was kind of muffled and deadened. And you just felt completely cut off from the challenges of my life. When I was in the library, it was like quite literally like my safe space, you know, and I could just sit in there and I could go through the books, choose which ones I wanted, and then I could carry them home. And I loved it. So was it books that you think got you through? A number of things. Books certainly was one thing. You know, my my parents gave me uh, a massive love of reading and literature in general, and that sort of access to other worlds. You know, I was always encouraged to read books about all sorts of different cultures, different places, places that I'd never been, still haven't been, quite possibly never will go. But you know, I definitely felt growing up that. The world was a big place filled with all sorts of different people. And that was definitely one of the things that I got from readings. This idea of like a like a broadening of, of my understanding of the world, I suppose. Um, and then the other thing that was a sanctuary was that I lived in a beautiful place that I, that I loved. And I was just allowed free reign. You know, it was like I'd be given some sandwiches or me and my brother would be given some sandwiches and off we would trot.
0: I think there are a couple of things there for us to explore when we come to uh, look at the book, The Invisible. One is that you had companionship because you had your brother and the other is an outdoor space that felt safe. So tell us about why you decided to write and illustrate this book at this particular time.
1: The idea of inequality, I I hate it. I can't bear it. I feel, like I've said, you know, I I feel lucky. We didn't have much money, but I had a lot of opportunity that was given to me. And my situation could have been very different if I didn't receive that encouragement and support and love, you know. And lots of people now are growing up with, you know, really, really challenging lives, And it's horrible to see. And I wanted to try to make a book that would communicate. Firstly, I wanted to communicate to people who knew nothing about the topic, what it might feel like to feel sort of overlooked and sidelined and invisible because you maybe can't contribute to society because you don't actually have the financial means to take part in anything that society offers to you. But equally, I wanted the book to make people who are potentially going through a similar experience or who have some understanding of the experience as well and to go like, yeah, like I I know what that's like. I you know, that's me. I can feel like that because representation in culture is massively important. And if you don't feel seen by your society, the culture that you live in, you're going to become disenfranchised. You're not going to engage. And your life is quite possibly, you know, it's it's going to be difficult. And I've spent a lot of my life feeling like I'm not part of things, like I'm on the edge of things, like I'm on the outside. But I do now feel part of the world, you know, and I feel far happier for that. And so that's what I want the book to communicate, this idea of community and society and like people being together and helping each other.
0: I think one of the most powerful bits in the story is where Isabel moves to a new home and she wanders the streets on her own and people ignore her. I mean this is really what mm. you're talking about seeing through somebody as though they're not there.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean that that's like totally where I'm coming from with this that idea of recognition that like you know human connection is free and it, it you know you can do that and and that's something that's really important.
0: Absolutely. Talk us through the book a little bit. Tell us about the story and how you decided to tell it in this way. So it starts with Isabel living in her house. It is mm-hmm. very cold. Take us take us from there.
1: Yeah, you know, she's in this house and it's cold. And that, as I said, that's what I remember my life being like. I remember, you know, sometimes in winter I'd wake up and there would be ice on the bunk beds that me and my brother slept in. There would be ice on the blankets. That we slept under because my breath had condensed. So um, these things are details that I remember from my life. And so she's in this house, and there's all these moments, like say the cinema, like new toys, things like that, which as a kid I remembered feeling like, oh, you know, well, my friends go and do these things, and I don't get to do that, which made me, you know, feel at a disadvantage, I suppose. Uh, and then we get to the page where uh, isabel and her family are toasting bread in front of the fire and that again is a detail that was just that was something that i loved because it tasted amazing when it had been toasted on the fire but that that also you know these little rituals you know that stuck in my mind and were comforting you know so mm. that's what sort of fed into that kind of mm. moment
0: we may as well talk about the pictures as well as we're going through because Isabel's world is very grey because it's cold and it's winter, but also it's metaphorically the things that surround her are grey. She's a spark of colour in this, isn't she, early in the book. She's putting on this green jumper. Yeah. Those colours reminded me of grass and sky.
1: I will confess to not having considered that, and I have in a lot of my other picture books considered the color scheme very carefully and utilized stark monochrome with a flash of color. But what I was trying to do in these early spreads is just, it wasn't so much that I was going for gray. I was just going for like cold. I was just trying to represent that feeling of, a, of sort of, yeah, just lack of warmth in, in the environment. Um, and then obviously on the, you know, because then when we get to the, the page when they're toasting breads, I've, I've sort of made the room quite cool in its colour palette. But then the fire is, is warm and the, her family members are warm because that's where she is receiving this warmth from.
0: And gesturally, there's warmth there through the family and the inclusion of the dog. I was really, you know, I was just interested in reading this to say, how would I have responded if the dog wasn't there? Would it have been a different story without the dog? And it would.
1: Yeah, I think it would. I mean, the, the dog is really is really important to me because I was really aware that I wanted this story to be Isabel's story. So I wanted her to have agency in the story and to be the person who is you know, pushing the events forwards and who is experiencing the story. And so if she had had her parents with her, that would have made it a story about family and that just wasn't the story that i wanted to tell in this instance and so the dog wasn't always going to be in there and there were a number of different dogs that i i auditioned and uh, drew pictures of and i was like no you won't do at all um and then i i wound up here and the dog was really important because i wanted it's it's you know it is a challenging subject to make a picture book about and i'm aware of that and i know that some people might feel that, especially at the start, it feels a bit heavy, and I wanted to lighten that, and I wanted to offer relief, and I felt that the presence of a small, cute, <laughs> you know, fluffy dog just did lighten things, and it made you feel like Isabel always has a companion. She's always got someone there who is understanding and offering just love and encouragement, kind of un- in the unconditional way that a dog does.
0: So shall we move the story on? Tell us a little bit about what happens then.
1: Yeah, so they're in their house and things are difficult and they don't have much. But as the spreads, which um, there's a spread where we see them playing in the snow together, it says, after all, she and her family had everything that they needed. They had each other, which I think is important, you know, because her situation would have been very different had she not received support from from her family. It would have been awful, you know, crushing right from the start. But then what happens is that gets to the point where even the love, encouragement and support she receives just isn't enough because there are, you know, there are financial realities at play in the world and you have to pay your rent and you have to pay your bills and all of these things. And it gets to the point where Isabel's family are unable to do that. And they have lived in what was their kind of their home and the home that isabel has always known and then they have to move uh to and i never show i never actually show their new home because well there are lots of different reasons i didn't want to i didn't want to kind of make any assumptions about uh you know what people might consider to be a good situation than a bad situation i didn't want anyone who read it to feel like, oh, like right, so you're saying that like my life is horrible because I live in a place that you're showing to be horrible. So I didn't show where they have to move to, but the feeling of her new environment is that it is closed off to her. It's cold, it's distant, it's remote, and she can't kind of find a way in. So I go with quite a lot of these big buildings that just look imposing and make her feel small um and so that's that's what i was trying to show in the pictures there
0: but there is a wonderful turning point when things have got bad and she has and and we should say that she gradually fades through this process and dissolves into the background until she does become invisible
1: oh, that that was where the the whole idea of the book came from actually it was in my head i was writing it as um <laughs> I hope Bloomsbury aren't listening, but I did write it thinking it would be one of the big bright feelings books, um, and it would be something like you know, Isabel's Invisible or something like that. But th- those books have a very sparse text, and it's the the text is always really really reduced, you know. So it's immediately graspable by anyone. Um, and I just felt like actually I want I I needed more words in this, and I wanted to explore the feelings and the sensations that she goes through in more depth Mm -hmm. um so that's why I turned it into one of these books but yeah that idea of turning invisible was the whole like that was my idea when I first started wanting to write the book it's about that feeling that that you are not seen that you're not part of the world no one values your contributions or what you could contribute um that was what the book is you know that's the core of the book for me
0: anyway that there is a turning point. Once Isabel's become invisible, she starts noticing things. And this is where she starts to take some action herself, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So once she is invisible, she starts to see other invisible people. She sees other people who are... Because this is the thing. The world has far too many ways of making people feel like they don't belong, like they don't fit in, like this isn't your place and that's essentially what she discovers so and this is this is i think something that happens in life when you go through and experience yourself whatever it is whether good or bad you you do understand more about that situation you can't help to if you go through financial difficulties you then have an understanding of what it's like to live in financial difficulties and you also i think the more sort of challenges you go through in your life the more you understand all sorts of different challenge so that's what happens to isabel she starts to recognize that she has challenges in her life but so do lots of other different people in all sorts of different ways you know people like el- elderly people and less able people and people from different backgrounds in certain situations you know there there are lots of different sorts of people who get sidelined and essentially what isabel in the story does is act as a kind of catalyst to draw all of these different people together and then once they sort of unite and form their own kind of community that's when the change in the story really starts to happen and that's when you know things pick up for her
0: as we move on um the the final revelation if you like Um, is when we come to this page very different from all the others so much white space a single sapling in a paint pot and the text reads and that was how Isabel made something very special one of the hardest things that anyone can ever make and we have that wonderful turn of the page and wow Tell us about this last page here. It's so joyous. It's wonderful.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to, yeah, it's a a difficult story to write because obviously if you're writing a pitch book, you need to end on a moment of like, you know, joy and hope and for it to be uplifting. And that's what I wanted to offer there. So it was really important to me that I don't show that yeah, Isabel's world hasn't been transformed. It's not like you know her family come into loads of money and suddenly all of their money problems are gone. You know any of that? It's just the this idea that she is part of a community. She becomes part of the world around her, and that, to me is the the goal so that was what i wanted to show in that picture and there are loads of the you know, i lived in south southeast london for a while and so the lady planting flowers in paint pots that used to happen in the in these kind of flats i lived in so she would use like you know gardeners twine or like you know bits of wire to like fix onto the railings around right the side and she grew flowers in these wow. in these pots and it was amazing and she she was very much like the lady in this book so she had quite you know quite a stoop And uh, yeah, I definitely drew on lots of people, I suppose, that I have seen over the course of my life who I feel have been working hard to make a difference in certain situations. And I tried to sort of represent some of these people. I've always been interested in lots of different areas of life. I make music. And so, you know, the, the guys that I make music in a band with are very different to the people that, you know, I hang out with when I go to the gym, for example. And, you know, publishing people are very different to the people that i'm friends with you know when i take my kids up to the kind of like you know the local primary school it's like we're all different we all have different journeys and we're all interested in different sorts of things but we all share the same kind of emotions and feelings and you can connect with anyone
0: absolutely i'd like to ask you a question that's like a different question here And that's to do with how you actually render the images, um, your your method of working, I suppose.
1: Yeah, sure. So I made a book called The Seesaw, which came out with Simon & Schuster. uh, And that essentially kind of set this way of working. So there's a museum called the Rijksmuseum. And relatively recently, they made a huge amount of their collection available to people to repurpose in literally any way that you saw fit. for free so you could download high resolution uh, paintings etchings daguerreotypes you know photos of sculptures whatever and I've always been interested in the idea of repurposing material and so you know I was like a kid in the 80s and then in the 90s I was a teenager so it was all kind of rave music drum bass hip-hop all that sort of thing where people were sampling other material and putting a completely different spin on it to turn it into something different. And I've always loved collage, which obviously is what that is as well. But I wanted to set myself the task with the seesaw of creating the whole book, apart from the characters that I drew, out of collaged elements from the Rijksmuseum collection. Obviously, all, all of the work is out of copyright. So basically, it's quite old. So with the invisible, I needed to combine these painted elements that I... um collage together for the skies for example I've got these lovely kind of swirling skies which I didn't paint I took elements from other paintings and collaged it together and then um, I took photographs of tower blocks and buildings like that and more sort of contemporary architecture so it's a combination of paintings photography etchings whatever I've just like each each image would probably have like 20 30 different picture elements elements from different pictures interweaves together and then i then i essentially draw the characters on the top
0: wow wonderful because the flowers and the butterflies yeah on this final page here look to me like those 18th century naturalist kind yeah. of drawings and
1: uh, uh, and yes and they are
0: wonderful and so is there anywhere where there is a final work of or is it all on the
1: computer all on the computer I mean it's a funny thing isn't it because I used to draw everything by hand and then composite on the computer but now I just do it all on the computer even the iPad sometimes and I do feel the loss sometimes there is something there just is something special about holding a tangible piece of work it kind of And this is going to make me sound like such an artist, (laughs) but it kind of vibrates with the energy that's been put into it. You can feel the time that has been put into it, whereas with a reproduction, you, you don't get that. You know, you can appreciate it. You can appreciate its composition, its form and its narrative flow and all of these different things. But you don't have the thing. You don't get that energy out of it and i find the same with you know with music i'll play a song on the guitar and it's all kind of i'll have a feeling as i play it and i might record it and listen back to it and it's you know it doesn't quite work in quite the same way it's a it's a, it's a facsimile as opposed oh, to the thing that's my feeling but i'm not trying to dismiss what i do because ultimately with picked with books they are always going to be reproduced so the, the the point of the book is the reproduction, you know, like you're, you're never going to just like hand make a whole book. So it doesn't affect the enjoyment of the book. But I do personally, I would like to have originals, but it's just not not how I work now.
0: Can I just ask you about the text and whether writing comes as easily to you as creating the pictures or do they just come simultaneously? You know what you want to say and the image
1: comes with it. I don't know. It depends. It's entirely dependent on the project. This story was really straightforward. I wrote the text, you know, probably it was probably like a day's work to get a decent draft of it and then trimmed a few bits and jiggled around with it a little bit, but not much. Whereas other books, it's very different. Sometimes I spent ages reworking, chopping around, approaching the story from completely different angles you know, trying different characters, different perspectives. But I think because The Invisible is a story that's been kind of just like spilling around in my mind for quite a long time. So when it came to actually putting it down on paper, it just all came out in a, in a straight line, really, um, which isn't always the case. Um, but I would say I don't view myself as either like an illustrator or a writer or a you know, musician. I, I do all of these things and I love them all. But in any given area, I am like, you know, well aware of my shortcomings in the practice. But the thing that I have always done and that I'm most passionate about is story making, coming up with stories and having ideas. That's what I see as my as my strength.
0: Fabulous. Tom, it's been so wonderful to talk to you today. I really appreciate the time that you've spent coming into the Reading Corner to tell us about The Invisible a book that resonates uh, with me and will certainly resonate with lots of readers, I'm sure. So thank you so
1: much. Not at all. Thank you. In the Reading Corner
0: is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a review for us. To find out about other projects, including an audience with events and the Exploring Children's Literature Summer School, Visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.